0: all one word, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. Isn't it time to tell your story? I'm Bill Mitchell and this is When Dating Hurts. A podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. This is part one of a two-part interview. Part two can be heard whenever you have time to listen. Our guest is Katie Gillis. She is a psychotherapist, author, and consultant with a passion for working with survivors of traumatic relationships, whether familial or romantic. Katie has extensive experience working with survivors of childhood neglect and family trauma. Her recent book is Invisible Bruises, How a Better Understanding of the Patterns of Domestic Violence can help survivors navigate the legal system. This book sheds light on the ways that the legal system can perpetuate the cycle of domestic violence by failing to recognize patterns that would otherwise hold perpetrators accountable and protect survivors. Katie has been featured on iHeartRadio, The Dr. Wendy Walsh Show, CP24 News in Toronto, Newsweek, Shea Gannon's radio show. And she's written numerous articles online, including Psychology Today, Psychotherapy Networker, Choosing Therapy, The Mind Journal, The Good Men Project, and many others. She provides training on recognizing patterns of domestic violence and family trauma and helping survivors move forward. Here is my interview with Katie Gillis. So welcome, Katie, to the When Dating Hurts podcast. I'm extremely excited about you reaching out to me. Just so exciting to catch up with you. And a lot of these interviews, I sit down, and I try to write a lot of really great leading questions and different kinds of things. And in your case, I'm nervous about doing that because the, the questions would probably underscore what I don't know.
1: Yeah, well, Maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> Sometime.
0: So I guess maybe if you don't mind, just give me a little bit of a sense of how you pick this direction for your career. You know, I, I know you've done a lot of amazing things. We will talk about that in your books and your magazine articles and oh my God. But so you pick this direction. Any particular reason?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I'm actually a survivor of domestic violence myself and I went through such a difficult time trying to get protection that, and I remember thinking in the moment, and I think I had this exact quote in, in both of my books, I remember thinking, I am a social worker. I am, I, I am literally trained to navigate social systems. And if I can't navigate the legal system to get protection for myself, how am I going to help a client do it? And how are people who are like less privileged than me? Maybe people who um, can't read and write English or maybe people who can't drive to the courthouse or people who who aren't trained to navigate social systems and, and things like that. I remember thinking if it's this hard, then something is wrong. Mm-hmm. So yeah. since then, that was years ago. And uh, so since then, I've just kind of made it my, I guess, you know, my, my mission, my, my uh, life purpose to, to help other people who are stuck in like that limbo. I call it like the legal labyrinth the system that is just so confusing, you know, just trying to get protection.
0: Do you think the system is the way it is by plan or purpose, or do you just think it doesn't get enough attention to simplify it streamline it so that most people can steer through it?
1: I I always tell people, I really think it's a systemic thing. You know, I, and, and I get sometimes a lot of pushback for this from other clinicians, you know, because I, I'm not quick to necessarily like assign specific blame. I mean, I, I work with many on the police force who are like their hands are tied and they're like, look, we're just as frustrated as you, you know, when we're trying to help clients and stuff. Um, I work with many judges who are the, say the same things. They're like, I see it. I know exactly what you're saying, but I'm tied. My hands are tied legally. I can't give someone a citation or a, you know, um, a conviction for, for being a jerk or a bad person. My hands are tied legally. So I really do think it's a systemic issue. You know, there's so many laws because the basis of our judicial system is that we are innocent until proven guilty, which is good, right? Because that way, you know, I can't go and say, you know, Bill stole my car and, and you know, and then you're automatically um, guilty for that. I mean, our judicial system helps you in situations like that. Um, we yeah. would rather send home a guilty person than jail a innocent person. And and I understand that to an extent, but what ends up happening is we then have, you know, a system where abusive people or dangerous people end up with the benefit of the doubt. And I think that is the systemic issue that leaves so many, you know, victims and survivors just kind of left with no support because they're limited as to what they can do and who they can go to.
0: Now, I hear this from so many people. I, I hear this all the time yeah. and it's, it's frustrating. And one of the things too, for people who are being abused is that I'm sure they feel like it's so obvious what's happening. They're on yes. the receiving end of so much yes. bad behavior that of course someone's going mm-hmm. to help them out or someone's going to bring yes. relief of one way or another. And they have to kind of go yes. through the loop of understanding what is evidence and how to collect evidence that yeah. actually holds up in front of a judge or in a courtroom. I kind of jumped right to that point. Yeah. You were, you're were on the receiving end of abuse yourself. Do you care to talk about that? Yes. At least in some fashion.
1: So I, I went through a situation where I kind of like so many of my clients say, like, I wasn't considering it domestic violence because the person hadn't strangled me or shoved me on the ground or anything, you know,
0: hadn't gotten physical at that point that you're saying.
1: At that point it, it, it so actually what ended up happening is, so I was assaulted with a baseball bat. That's, so there was, yes. yeah. So I was assaulted with a weapon and the person who I was actually dining with at the time, yes, this happened at a public place was also assaulted. And the person who I was dining with is the one who pressed charges. I didn't press charges because I had recently ended a relationship with this person and I was like, they're just upset. They've lost their, their mind clearly because they're just upset. So I actually didn't press charges. Um, so, but then what ended up happening is it kept happening. It kept getting worse and it kept getting worse and it kept getting worse. And I realized like, okay, like this, this is a situation where this person is not stopping. And even though I am a social worker, and even though I work every day with people who are survivors of trauma and survivors of abuse, I can like, look at my clients and say, okay, this is, this is abuse. This is going to escalate. But in the moment for me, I was like, oh, this is, they're just angry. It's just going to be a one-time thing. They're not going to get worse. And then it, it did.
0: Well, you were saying it got worse and worse, but I mean, someone brings a baseball bat to where you are dining it got worse than that
1: Mm -hmm. so this is this is where it gets hard because for me it got worse than that but talking to someone who has who has lost you know a child for domestic violence like i it's hard for me to say like to me it, it got worse but i mean to to someone else they might not think that that it did but for me it did because there were like
0: but it got worse for you you mean
1: Yeah, I I understand
0: what you're you're not comparing yourself to other people. You're just comparing yourself to what happened to you. I understand that.
1: Yeah, to me, like that was the least of it. And I remember telling the judge, like, because that that was what the judge kept focusing on, because that was when a weapon was used. And I was like, I remember I kept saying to the judge, like, this is like the least of it, like, you know, compared to all the other stuff Uh, that's happened after, you know, the harassment and the stalking and, and stuff like that. And I remember the judge being like, but this is the only thing I can rule on. So this is going to give you your protection order. And I remember that was the moment where I was like, we need systemic change. You know, we need to help people because this is, you know, an angry person that is not able to be stopped until things get violent, which is sometimes too late.
0: This presumably a guy, I guess a guy shows up with a baseball
1: bat. It was actually a woman. Yeah. Okay.
0: Woman shows up with a baseball bat who you had been friends with or some relationship you're saying.
1: Yeah, we had a relationship. Really okay, good trip, all
0: right. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so what happens? I mean, this person shows up with a baseball bat. Does the baseball bat is it hitting the table and knocking things flying, or just, mm-hmm. or is this person just threatening and then yelling and screaming and walking away? I mean, is this thing swung?
1: Yes. Oh, yes. It was swung. Yes. And I remember in in the moment when something like that happens. It's not like it's not like watching a movie where you're like able to kind of remember the positioning of the chair and the positioning of this. I just remember in the moment being like, "Well, this is clearly a dream," and it's like the point in the dream where you're not really sure if right. it's a dream, but you're like, "Okay, you know, I'm walking on top of water, so perhaps this is a dream." You know, when you don't have the insight, it's
0: just so surreal. It's just so crazy.
1: Yeah, and it it's it's not like, like you that. see that
0: very often. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was like, well, clearly this is a dream because, because yeah, yeah, she came into the restaurant where I was dining and, and I remember at the moment being like, okay, like she's just angry, you know, we're just going to leave, you know, and we like just kind of got up to leave and then she kind of followed us. It was just, and it just kept kind of going from there. And I remember in the moment being like, I can't believe this is like happening right now. Like, I can't believe this is my life. I mean, it was, I remember the the number one feeling I felt is just being humiliated more than anything, more than fear, more than yeah, anything. Yeah, you
0: really don't want to be associated with somebody who does something like that.
1: I was humiliated, yeah.
0: But so that happened, and I know we're not trying to do an interview with you about this <laughs> one thing, but I just have to ask, so that happened, and then what, days later, you had another incident, or...?
1: So we went directly. So the person who he, he was my friend at the time, he's actually my boyfriend now, but this because this was years ago, but um, he was dining with me at the restaurant. And he's actually the one who pressed charges because he had like the brunt of the attack, I would say. Brunt um,
0: meaning he got hit or he tried to stop it. You mean?
1: I mean, I remember him.
0: he tried to stop the bat.
1: No, it's okay. like I, I just remember like so both of these people are both like bigger than me and stronger than me. And so I just remember standing there with my takeout food being like, where am I going to put this down? Like, and I just remember remember it was just, you know, in the moment when you're going through something like that, it's like you start thinking about stuff that just doesn't, I just remember being like, okay, I need to put this food down because if I have to defend myself, you know, your first instinct is put your hands up. Right. And I remember holding a takeout container of food and how am I going to put my hands up with my takeout container? Right. You know, I just remember being like, kind of looking around like, where am I going to put my table container? And that's, that's when he kind of grabbed the bat and was like, you need to back off. And then the, they started calling the, the restaurant called the police. I mean, it was, it was extremely humiliating. So yeah. So then there was an arrest of this person, you know, for uh, domestic assault, mm-hmm. of course. Sure. And sure. then from there, the, the stalking and the harassment just escalated to the point where, I mean, there were threats to my employment and things like that. And, you know, reports to the social work board, I'm a social worker, so I have, I have a, a license, like, you know, things like that. and It just kept escalating, kept escalating. And to me, my career is everything to me. And so when I ha- was having my career threatened in such a serious way, to me, I, I was like this, that is when I really started to get scared mm-hmm. because I was like, this person isn't stopping. You know, it's not like a one time losing your temper, you lose your mind kind of thing it's like there was no moment of oh crap i messed up Mm -hmm. there was Mm -hmm. no moment Mm -hmm. of i need to stop right and that's when i realized this is a dangerous person i need help
0: that is dramatic
1: it is it's pretty intense and that's why i was like i remember like the i remember the cop saying to me well do you need resources about domestic violence and i remember being like and i write about the scene in my in uh, my first book i was like I was like, what do you mean domestic violence? Like this isn't domestic violence. Like we're no longer dating. And I remember saying that to the cop and she like looked at me and there was like this moment of like clarity and I was like, "Oh." And I was like, "Well, no, she's just angry. Like this is just a one-time thing. You know, we broke up a few months ago." Da da da. And the cop was like, "No. Like this is a very serious thing." And I was like, and I was like almost like not arguing, but I was almost like giving the benefit of the doubt saying like, no, like she's just angry, you know, it'll blow over. I really thought, I really thought it was just a one-time thing. Wanted, I really did. done. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I guess a lot of people do, you know, they probably think, you know, a lot of people right. Do. You know, they, yeah. they haven't seen it before. They don't think they're going to see it or something like it after that. And it's like, wow, yeah. I'm glad that, glad we're past that phase until phase two, yeah. three, four and all.
1: Exactly. Exactly, and that's why so many times you know when I when I'm working with clients in the in the court system, you know the judges will say, you know, and I shouldn't. I'm not trying to pick on judges, but I'll hear even like attorneys say things like, "This was a one-time thing. This was a one-time thing," and I'm like, "But we haven't heard of all of the the things that happened that haven't been reported, that have that they haven't been charged for. It might not be a one-time thing. I mean, it might be, but it might not be. Yeah, it
0: might be the most dramatic of all of them, or maybe maybe not even that.
1: Yeah, it might be the only one that." was reported. Made
0: the news, so to speak, right? Exactly. What was interesting in what you were talking about was you were already kind of in the business when this happened to you. I mean, it wasn't like this happened to you and you thought, wow, there yeah. are a lot of things people don't know. I got to get in the business. You yeah. were in the business.
1: And that's actually, I mean, I keep using the word embarrassing and humiliating. I mean, that was one of the hardest things for me because yeah, I, I've been a social worker for 10, 15 years and I've been in the field 15 somewhat years and not only am I a social worker but I'm a therapist who specializes in working with people with people who are survivors of relationship and family trauma so it was definitely an eye-opening moment for me I
0: guess really from your standpoint some of the things that you were talking with people about were a little theoretical in some ways and you kind of read about it and went seminars about it and talk with people about it, but then to have it actually come into your home, you know, come right into your world.
1: Yeah, I think it's just sometimes. Wow,
0: what a clarification. Yeah, right? I was
1: just in.
0: Knowing the terror of it, yeah. you know, feeling the terror of it. It's hard to feel the terror. Yeah. Even in listening to someone else, you can feel awful and it can be, you know, you might need a, to pause now and then, but it, it didn't happen to you. Is, yes. Is the thing. And, and here it did.
1: And that's the that's the thing that I always say you know to the courts is like it doesn't it's not happening to you, so it's hard for you to to know you know they, the victims will come in and and tell their story, and the person listening is like, "Oh well, maybe that's not that bad, or maybe it was one time thing and, and so but it, you don't like you said they use the word terror that feel that feeling of terror I mean, yes, that was what it was it was terror that's a great word,
0: yes. Yeah. It's terror in, in the moment that it's happening, but there's also, well, what's what, what now, you know, what time of day? I mean, they're all kind of, you know, baseball bat this time, gun next time, Mm -hmm. you know, what are we going to do here? Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to, somebody's going to shoot me. Yeah,
1: exactly. So the things that I usually talk about, uh, when I do trainings or when I meet with clients are, you know, what I call, of course, red flags. And, um, but we also talk about things that I like to call, and I don't think I coined this term, but I, I call it uh, like orange flags and yellow flags. Oh, good. Um, so not everything is going to be a blatantly obvious red flag. Obviously, anything, you know, physical abuse, like, you know, if someone's screaming, if someone's aggressive, that's obviously a red flag. However, what ends up happening is rarely are there a bunch of red flags. Sometimes there are, but rarely, usually what ends up happening is there's a whole bunch of, you know, orange flags and there's a whole bunch of, well, maybe they were just having a bad day or it was this one time or it was that. Those are the type of things I like to tell people. Focus on how they treat other people, you know, focus on like when you're, know maybe you're going to a restaurant on date night and you have to park the car valet how do they treat the valet person how do they treat the server the host how do they treat the the person asking for money under the bridge on the drive home how are they treating other people how are they treating living people living things animals how do they treat people who are less important than them and what i mean by that is people who who are, you know, more vulnerable than them. Children, you know, yeah. employees, yeah. things like that. Pay attention to how people treat other people. Is there compassion? Is there empathy? And nobody's going to be perfect all the time. We all have bad days. We all, you know, maybe we snap, you know, we say something that was insensitive or something like that. We're all human. But what I mean is is there a pattern of cruelty? Is there a pattern of using, you know, force? either through verbal or physical means to establish a point or establish dominance? Is there a pattern of using things like the legal system to punish a person? That's another common Mm. thing I see. You know, is there a pattern of thinking that the person is above the law, skirting the system, that kind of stuff?
0: The undercurrent of all of that is if it's happening to all these other people, one day it's going to happen to you. I mean, that's really what you're, Mm -hmm. they're the preludes to, uh, it'll be coming your way one day, right?
1: Yeah, I do think all of us like either are going to be either directly or like one person removed from, you know, an abusive situation. I mean, the more that I talk about these things and the more that I, you know, write and, and publish, <laughs> I'm not a producer <laughs> yet. No. Um, The more I publish and the more I hear from survivors, I hear from survivors all around the world, all genders, all ages, all backgrounds. And it really is something that, um, you know, we, we have these stereotypes, you know, we have, you know, these stereotypes, well, it only happens in, you know, poor communities. It only happens in like poor people of color communities, but it's, it's not true. And what ends up happening is like, I end up finding that, you know, I think all of us are like one or two people removed. If it hasn't happened to us or someone who we love, it's a friend. Maybe we just don't know yet.
0: How do people use the legal system? You, you mentioned that on your way Mm -hmm. to this latest Part you were talking about, but people are kind of like using the legal system against the other person. Yes. What would would that be like?
1: It's very common. So, you, um, a lot of my clients are dealing with what we call like post separation abuse or so post separation litigation abuse. You see it a lot in divorces, or you see it a lot where there's um, a split of a couple, and there's maybe like a in the court system they call it high conflict. You know, as you can see, I'm I'm doing the finger quotes because it's not high conflict. That's it's post-separation abuse. It's literally the title of my book. So in the court system, they call it high conflict breakups or high conflict divorces. And what ends up happening is the abusive person, they can no longer, I mean, if, if they ever used physical abuse, but if, if they did, I mean, they can no longer go up and put their hands on the person or scream in the person's face. But what they can do is they can file a false DCFS report or false CPS report just to make trouble.
0: Go back to those initials. So you, they came at me pretty fast.
1: Oh, Child Protection Services or, or Department of Child Protection Services. I know it's different in each state.
0: But I mean, there's just these legal curveballs. You throw at somebody and you know they have to like fall back and yeah. deal with it.
1: And- yes. It's just to create headache, to create ca- uh, havoc. Sometimes it goes somewhere, sometimes it doesn't. And it's just it's just a way of saying like, F you, I'm still in control, like how dare you speak out, how dare you leave, how dare you, how dare you. It, it's really, it's like, you know, you're going to get it now, like payback.
0: Have you found that some people throw those curveballs, let's say on Fridays, that way they wreck your weekend or they throw them at you the day before Thanksgiving? I've heard about that type of thing. Yeah. I don't know if you have.
1: They'll try to do it on birthdays, anniversaries, like right before your birthday to try to get to kind of ruin your birthday if you have um you know maybe you have a, a kid who's graduating from high school or something like that or i had a client whose kid was going away for summer camp for like a month and, and it was her first time with her kid being gone so she was like sad and you know she's like "Oh, i'm gonna be away from him for like six weeks and so like the person waited until she was alone you know to kind of you know oh. knock her when she's down yeah
0: that is so bad yeah people can be so bad that's yeah. just something I love the idea of the yellow, the orange, and the red flags. I hadn't heard that put that way before, but when I think back, all the things I've heard about, I can see that. And sometimes those things that might fit under yellow flags, I think if they're done enough, they kind of move up through the colors, even though it's the same thing. Yeah, You know, it's one thing to text me a fair amount. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? But I mean, if it's like 40 times a day, we're probably getting to orange and red at that point.
1: That's literally what I, what I say is that, you know, if used enough or if used in the wrong way a yellow flag can be an orange or a red flag because you know i always like to say we are all human we're all going to have days where we come home and we're like you know maybe we were a little bit aggressive or or we you know yelled or you know the dog or something or we snapped or used our horn too much in traffic or something like that 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 could be, okay. You know, it's a one, is it a one day thing? Or is the person doing this behavior every single day, seven days a week?
0: It's one thing to maybe spot things happening to yourself. Although I think that it's a lot harder to get it when it's happening to you versus if you heard it was happening to your roommate or Mm -hmm. your friend or your sister. What are those type of things that you coach people who have a, who have that friend, you know, who are the um, uh, bystander, you know, that, start to pick up on, wow, this guy does stuff for this, whoever this person's seeing or dating or whatever that is, you know, male or female, what, how do you, how do you coach them about those things? And then, then secondarily, what can they do to maybe shine the light on it and say to their friend, look, maybe you don't get what's going on between you and this guy, but this is what I see. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you must have bystanders or parents or somebody coming to you from time to time, saying, "I don't like what's going on, but I'm not even sure what I'm watching or seeing,
1: yeah, and so much of domestic violence, and so much of relationship trauma really is kind of like that gut feeling of something feels off it It's hard, you know, especially in situations that are not physical. It is so hard to really you know pinpoint okay what exactly is going on so many so often, especially." you know, with bystanders because maybe they're not with the person all the time, but they just get a weird feeling. Mm-hmm. Now, if one or two of your friends or family have a weird, you know, feeling around your partner, then okay. then I can, you know, that, that might just be a personality conflict. However, if your entire family, you know, maybe dislikes your boyfriend or, or, or something like that, or your entire friend group is like, Hey, you know, he's, he's worrying me. I don't like his behavior. There's something about him. Then I would say that's a red flag. Um, but usually what I do is I, I talk to people about things like watching how it is that they treat other people. And unfortunately, um, and this is so hard cause I, I work, a, I do work a lot with teens. I work a lot with young people and it is so hard because they'll, they'll say to me, I, I, I want her to stop dating this guy because he's just bad news. And, and I can see he's aggressive and he's already been in fights with other people. And, and unfortunately, there's no like magic word or phrase you can say. You can't say to your friend, you have to stop dating this person. Parents sometimes have more leeway if the kid is, is a minor. But on the other hand, parents sometimes have less leeway just by the fact that they're a parent. You know, kids sometimes are not going to listen to their parents even more than they're not going to listen to friends. Yes, um, I have
0: no doubt about that being right. Yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. So sometimes it is really hard. I mean, I have a lot of of people who come to me and say, I'm watching this person go into it's like watch it's like at the the point in the movie where you're watching the girl walk down in the basement and you're like don't go down there but you have to let the person you know make these decisions cuz you can't choose for them but it is an extremely uncomfortable and it's sometimes sad position to be in.
0: Yeah, some of the things that I've seen about that and when I give talks I usually say things like this is that person who is who you think and probably is being abused, that person has to get there on their own. Yes. They have to get there. Yes. And sometimes I'll liken it to an alcoholic, you know, that an alcoholic yes. is not going to get there until that person bottoms out and says, you know what? Yes. I've lost my wife. I've lost my kids. Yes. I lost my job recently. Looks like I'll be kicked out of the house. Yes. Maybe I have a problem.
1: Yep, maybe I hit rock bottom. And right. It's this exact same kind of thing because if not, sometimes I'll notice people will kind of like placate their friends and family, and like, okay, I'm not going to see them. But then they're they are with them, but no one knows, right. which is sometimes right. even a more dangerous thing. Yes, like so. Tell yes, yeah, yeah
0: and it's got to be very hard as a parent, or really a close friend, or sister, you know, sister, if you yeah. saw your sister going through this and you see it pretty clearly, you know, you know, this is, mm-hmm. this cannot go to a great place, you know, and yeah. it's hard not to judge the situation. It's hard not to bring the house down on that person. Yeah. And yet the way through it is to get as much information as you possibly can about what these type of things really are. Meaning you got to go to a domestic violence agency or someone like you who really knows this world because most people don't know this world or don't some of them don't even believe Mm -hmm. it exists, but to get as educated about it as possible, if you really care, it's not about attacking the person who's being abused. It's about getting enough information that you even know what could be going on. And then besides Mm -hmm. that, to get that person to talk with you. So it's hard to switch from wanting to say things to, to switching into being a great listener. And that's because to finish the thought that's because that, if you can get that other person to talk, the abused person to talk, and you're a great listener with your fingers crossed and maybe your eyes to God, you hope that person wow. finally talks him or herself yeah. out of this relationship because they're like, wow, yeah. you know, I'm talking about all these things. And yes, he did do that. And yeah, I didn't like when he did that. Yeah. And that, ha- and this other thing happens all the time. Ugh, you know, I can do better than this.
1: Yeah. you hope. And that's that's what you hope. Yeah, you hope that people will get to that point on their own because if not, when there's so much resentment, you know, I I see people say things like you forced me to go away from him and it's not his fault. And, you know, and then it's almost like then they come like running back to the person full force.
0: Yes, absolutely. That happens, I'm sure, all the time. You know that you 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 kind mm-hmm. of as a parent or friend, you kind of plan your plan the discussion or you know do your version of an intervention you're going to dive in there and I'm going to save my friend from mm-hmm. this evil monster and wind yep. up driving your friend to the evil monster in mm-hmm. your mind yeah and I,
1: I remember I when I when I ended my situation I, I had friends that would come forward and would, oh thank god like thank god you got out of that relationship we were kind of wondering you know what was going on and we were worried about you and and then I had other friends who I lost because of it, yes. because they were like, look, we don't want to watch this. And and that happens all the time. Even in my work with clients, you know, clients will say to me, oh, I, you know, I lost so many friends from this relationship and, and things like that. And, and sometimes that's a huge part of their recovery is when they end the relationship, they're working on like the reparations of repairing relationships with friends and family who they lost as a result of all the stuff going on
0: yeah it it really can be a mess because sometimes you'll say look you know Mm -hmm. i'm thinking about breaking up with this guy and Mm -hmm. uh, i've had enough and thank you for talking with me and then you find out they didn't break up or if they broke up they went back and then that's another way you can lose friends because they're like no you're Mm -hmm. exhausting me you keep coming to me and you're telling me all these things i see it plain as day obviously you don't get it Mm -hmm. so i got other things to do and when you finally get your act together and and wake up to the, smell the coffee, you know, that this guy's bad news and get out of there. But yep. so they give up on yeah, you and, and in hindsight, I mean, that's really the, that's really the thing you, you shouldn't do. If you're really a friend, if you're really trying to do the right thing, you'd never give up. Even if you're frustrated, you know, go take your own walk and scream in the forest or something if you have to, because you're not getting what you think is so obvious, but
1: mm-hmm. yeah,
0: it's, it's really, yeah. Absolutely. So you talk with people, you know, who get into these relationships and they don't seem to shake them off very soon, very quickly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Why do you think they keep hanging in there? They've gone through the storybook romance beginning when everybody's just so charming and everything it said's is wonderful. And we go to nice places and do great things and they get through that. And they go through obviously isolation stage, which usually comes second. And then there might be threats of violence. Maybe it could be just screaming at somebody or slamming a door mm-hmm. in their face. And then maybe, maybe even violence. Not that that always happens, actual mm-hmm. violence, but yeah. these people go through this loop over and over and over. They can do it for, yeah. they can do it for months. They can do it for decades. I know people have done it for decades. Oh, yeah. But why do you think, why do you think these people keep going back or or don't, or don't, Seriously, break free, and it's a very complicated question. So I'm not trying to make it like two sentences will be done with that. I know that's not that easy. Yeah,
1: I know there's like entire books on it. Right. Um, but because there's so many things involved, you know, think think of like all all the different ingredients to make a pie. There's so many survivors of relationship trauma, and not not all. I always want to preface not all, but so many of them have had other traumas or maybe they've had trauma in their childhood or maybe they've had previous relationship traumas maybe they have bad self-esteem and i say this i know it sounds victim blaming i I don't mean it that it's their fault that they have poor self-esteem but but there's sometimes what happens is like you have like the everything kind of coming together so it's rarely is domestic violence like like in the movies he hits her once she falls to the ground and then she leaves And then never sees them again they live happy she lives happily ever after it's not like that there's like the slow building of the person being kind of a you know a bully or maybe but maybe they're not a bully all the time maybe there's a bully sometimes you know maybe they're not isolating all the time maybe they're just isolating just a little bit maybe you know oh i just don't want you to do xyz you know so it's really hard to say and so then there's so much you know there's so much self-doubt in victims where you know they say like even even now years later you know i'll say things like well maybe this or maybe that or you know and so many times victims will say well maybe i exaggerated this or maybe i just made them mad or maybe maybe if i hadn't have done this and so so there's so much self doubt there's always like the what ifs there's always you know that kind of thing and so it creates like this perfect storm so to speak you know it doesn't feed off of that stereotype of the angry person, you know, coming home, you know, using violence, and then the woman fleeing, it, like like the movie with Julia Roberts. You know, it's not like that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like this slow build, There's and then there's, you know, bringing the person down, making them feel like they, they, they don't deserve better, or that they, you know, can't, they're not going to make it out on their own, or things like that. And so then some of the victims really believe that. And then there's also things like the perpetrators, you know, abusers saying things like, you know, I would never hit you. Yes, I punched the wall, but I would never hit you. Or yes, I kicked the dog, but I would never hit you. Um, I hear that a lot. You know, and I work with a lot of clients who will say things, well, you know, he's never hit me. He's just punched the wall right next to your face though, but he's never hit you. Mm-hmm. Because in our society, we have a line that is drawn in the sand between something, and I don't mean in, in a clinical sense. I mean, in a clinical sense, it's all abuse. But in the court of law, You are only protected against on this side of the sand. If they put their hand on you, then you can get a protection order. All of the other stuff that I've mentioned, I mean, with some exceptions, you know, if you punch a wall next to a person, usually that's usually that's taken seriously. But a lot of the other stuff isn't. And so it does create this sense of self-doubt in our society. We're like, if none of this stuff that I've mentioned, you know the stuff that I've experienced is gonna get me a protection order, then maybe it really is an abuse. Maybe it's just, you know, a bad relationship, or maybe it's just, you know, we're both just toxic. We're both just not in a good, good space. You know, it's so, so many things like that will kind of like all work together to, to where victims are like, well, maybe it's not as bad as I thought.
0: What is your opinion about protection orders? Really?
1: So there
0: is some people, because somebody will say, why don't you go to a judge and why don't you get a protection order? And it becomes this, you know, in their minds, it becomes this magic shield where someone's like, wow, it's I, not. I can't get within yeah. 500 feet of you or I'll be in trouble.
1: Yeah. And it's not. And I, so I always tell people when, when you're going to get a protection order, just know what you're up against. I will never tell someone not to, and I always advocate for them because it's good to have a paper trail and it's good to have it documented and it, that, that you tried to get one and it's, it's, And it's always good to try to get one. However, know what you're up against. It is not like you just walk in, fill out a piece of paper, and there's your protection order. Um, Now, of course, it is state-specific, so it might be different in other states. But at least in Louisiana, you have to fill out, it's like literally a 12-piece, and these are legal documents. So it's not like the short 12 pieces of paper. It's the legal, so it's like 24 pieces of paper, really. And you have to be checking off boxes, filling out things, filling out more things, rewriting it. And for someone who's traumatized and shaking while they're writing it out, I, I mean, it's so hard to do that. And so then that goes before a judge, the judge has to decide, and then we'll give what is called a temporary protection order. And so usually within 1421 days, again, state state specific, but 14-21 20, days, there's a hearing. So then the victim is re-traumatized again by having to argue their case in front of a judge against someone who doesn't want a protection order on them. So then they're going to probably fight it back. I mean, it is it is a whole ordeal. It is not like you go and you apply for a passport where you fill out a thing, and you get your passport months later. It is not like that. So I always tell people, I always want them to get one, but just know what you're up against.
0: Now in Louisiana... The person, okay, so you have, let's just say, because it's most typically, it's happening to the mm-hmm. female and the male did it. It's just, just mm-hmm. to make it clear, or mm-hmm. easy to talk about, to true. talk about. Yeah. But okay, so yeah. she goes in there and there's a hearing, but isn't the guy who she's trying to get it for in the room too?
1: Yes. So is in, that? A, do you think it that's it always the case?
0: Because. That was new to me recently having that conversation yeah. with somebody who went in there and yeah, the guy's right over there. And it's like, you're saying all these things yep. and God forbid we meet in the hallway afterwards.
1: Exactly. And, and so, because there's, there's two times. So the victim goes by herself alone the first yes. time you go in you, and you go up to the clerk of court, and you say, you know, I'd like to fill the paperwork for protection order and you have to have all of your information. So if you don't have like the person's address, like let's say they're couch hopping or they're staying with aunt Sally out and wherever they, Oh, sorry, ma'am. We can't serve this. If you don't have an address, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like you have to have very, make sure you know their license plate number, like very specific information. And a lot of times victims that are like fleeing a situation, they who the heck remembers. I don't even know my own license plate number. You know, so the first time you're by yourself, the next time that you go about, you go back. Yes. He is in the room and you're standing, you know, 10, 12 Really,
0: feet. That's terrible.
1: Very intimidating experience. And, and yes, you do end up sometimes in a situation where you are in, in the hallway together. It is very awkward. Now you can, the victim gets what's called like a victim advocate to kind of walk over with them and you can stay, usually it's in like a separate room or like when I was there, it was even a separate building. And then what happens is the judge will say, okay, we're ready to hear your case in the next, you know, 15, 20 minutes. And the victim's advocate will like walk you over. Okay. So you don't have to sit there the whole time, even though the the, the perpetrator is, the, is there the whole time. So you get, then get walked over, but it's basically just a human body walking you over. I mean, the victim ad- advocate, I mean, no offense, victim ad- advocates. I know you all are, are great and you serve a very needed purpose, but, they're not therapists, you know. They're really just kind of a, a warm body walking you over to well, the courthouse. Oh, and it's also not
0: a bodyguard.
1: Exactly. And usually, it's—I mean, in my case, it was as a teeny woman, t- very teeny woman, and and I was like, oh my gosh, like this person can overpower both of us, you know? She she walked me over, and and I remember she just kind of looked at me at the end and was like, okay, bye. And I was like, no, like that's the moment where you need someone to to be there, but um. Uh just know what you're up against i always tell people i always advocate for them but just be prepared just so you can empower yourself
0: this ends part one of my two-part interview with katie gillis part two is the next episode on the when dating hurts podcast i'd like to thank my guests and my listening audience for their support it is clear our listeners look for and play survivor episodes above all others They get caught up between the forces of good and evil all the time, pulling for the moment a victim becomes a survivor. I am open to other victims and survivors who want to join with me on the when dating hurts podcast. We can shine a bright light on the epidemic of dating and domestic violence. We can improve lives and save some innocent people from a lifetime of broken dreams. If you want to tell your victim or survivor story, Please contact me at Bill Mitchell at WendatingHerz.com. That's Bill Mitchell at WendatingHerz.com.